Sure appreciate the good message we've heard. You turn in your Bibles to Mark the sixth chapter and verse one. Let's read in God's word together. And he went out from thence and came unto his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and of Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended or repelled by him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. This morning I want to talk to you about that last verse, verse 6. It says that he marveled because of their unbelief. The definition of the word marvel there, some of you may be comic book fans or in the last 20 years movie fans there's a comic book brand known as marvel the word marvel means a wonder now listen to this definition that which arrests the attention and causes a person to stand or gaze or to pause i would further say that it makes me think of the phrase uh, shock and awe (laughs) somebody who is shocked by something to shock the senses and literally, what, what is, we're reading here is that Jesus, he, he, his attention was arrested and he stood and paused at the unbelief of the people that he was dealing with in his own hometown of Nazareth. <laughs> Listen, I ask you to pray for me because I want to make sure that you get the message that's on my heart and that I'm burdened with this morning. I tell you this, that the Lord on the throne is not shocked by the coronavirus or the political scene or the things that come in the future. He is not shocked by those things because he knows everything. But I tell you this with all of my heart, he is shocked by the response of God's people to such things. Are you listening to me? Now, if what I say here this morning may step on some toes, remember I'm aiming for your heart. The real shocker that has happened over the last eight or nine months or so, whether it's in politics, the culture, the media, the sicknesses, and all of that type of stuff, the Lord is less concerned about the things that are happening as opposed to the way that His people are responding. And it is no different than what you see Jesus experiencing as He went into His own hometown. Now, let's don't don't miss the language because the Word of God does not mince words about this. Notice verse 5, Jesus being shocked by the response or lack of response by his people in his hometown. It says in verse 5, he could there do no mighty work. It does not say that he would not do a mighty work. He said, wait a minute now, I thought God was all powerful. That is an absolute fact. But God is also in his all powerfulness consistent with his own character. And what we read here is not... Man limiting God from being able to do something, it is God limiting himself because of the lack of response by man. 
Matthew Henry commentary said this, and I really liked it. Matthew Henry says, it is a strange expression in relation to saying he could do no mighty work. It is a strange expression as if unbelief tied the hands of omnipotence itself. They forfeited the honor of having them, those mighty works, wrought for them. They stopped the current of his favors. Isn't that something? Now, what exactly were these people doing? And how in the world does that relate to us today? I think it relates to us in a mighty way. Notice what it says in verse 2. Jesus goes back to his hometown. And this is an across-the-board kind of uh, rule, you might say, where Jesus says a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. You know, that's just old so-and-so. Every preacher that's ever been called, I believe, has experienced this. Because, you know, you don't grow up at five years old, ten years old, or twelve years old. A preacher doesn't. You know, everybody say, well, this, this guy's got to preach. That just doesn't happen. There might be somebody that, you know, tends to appear more godly than others through those years of youth. But most of the time, somebody will say, the Lord called who to preach? Somebody might ask Sister Tracy, you know, can't believe you married a preacher. She didn't. She didn't marry a preacher. I was called and became a preacher after we were married. I'm glad she didn't know that before. She might not have got into the deal if she'd have known all that trouble was coming. And I'm jesting, of course, but I wasn't a preacher whenever we got married. I wasn't a preacher when I was 12 or 5 and doing the things that 5-year-olds and 12-year-olds do or 17 or 20. I believe I was called when I was around 18 or 19. I just didn't know what was going on. But nonetheless, every preacher, I believe, experiences this. A prophet, a preacher, is not without honor except in their own country. That's just old so-and-so. So I want you to notice what they do in verse 2. To lead Jesus to marvel, to be shocked by their unbelief. First of all, it says on the Sabbath day he came to teach in the synagogue, verse 2. And many hearing him were astonished. They, were, they marveled. They were shocked at this guy who was preaching and teaching. And they said basically four questions. They had four questions. From whence hath this man these things? They questioned the source from where Jesus got the authority or the ability to do what he was doing. They questioned the source of where he came from. And he says, and what wisdom is this which is given unto him? Wisdom was the words that he was speaking to them. They questioned the word that he gave. And then it says that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. They were astonished and marveled at the works that he was doing, the miracles he was doing. So they questioned the power that he had. And that led them, sadly, to question the man himself. They said, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of these folks and and his sisters are with us? And they were offended. They were repelled by Jesus. They questioned the source. They questioned the word that he gave. They questioned the power that he had. And it led them to questioning the man himself, Jesus Christ. If we question the source of where our spiritual life, where the kingdom of God comes from, if we question the word of God that has not changed through millennia, and if we question the power that God has that's available even now to us, then we question the man, Christ Jesus himself. Now, this is a shocking thing. To think that the Savior was shocked by the unbelief of the people. It's fascinating if you think about it. Now, look at what it says again. It says, He could there do no mighty work except 
that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. What that, the inverse of that is there were many mighty works that could have been performed in that hometown area of Nazareth if the people were only plugged in and connected to who the source of his power was, what his word was saying was true, and that the power that he had was for real, and that he really was not just the son of Joseph. He was not the son of Joseph. He was the son of Mary, and he was the son of God. See, they could have known all this stuff if they just plugged into the source, plugged into the word, plugged into the power that he had. But they did not. Now, it says that he could do no mighty work there. How many sick people? How many sick people died in the area of Nazareth? Because the people questioned these things. Their unbelief led them to question the power, the authority, the source, the deity of Jesus himself. How many people died that were sick? Because we see other places where there were sick people that were dying. And people in faith, like the Roman centurion, came to Jesus and said, My servant lies sick. I believe that you can help me. Will you come and heal him? And Jesus did. As a matter of fact, he didn't even come. He just said, it's done. Here in the area of Nazareth, there were many miracles that were missed because of the people's unbelief. How many died of sickness? How many lepers were not cleansed? How many people that were just maybe had a fever like Peter's mother-in-law? How many people were experiencing things like that? And Jesus just, he just walked on by because he marveled at their unbelief. How many people missed the truth of God? How many people were not introduced to the Son of God and the truth of God while he walked on this earth? Brothers and sisters, he's not walking on the earth anymore. The visible kingdom of God and the church of God is here still. But Jesus is not physically walking on the earth anymore. You are his hands and feet, if you will. And you understand what I A lot of people use that and say, well, you know, is that really accurate? Well, Jesus' hands and feet are not literally here walking about and doing the things that he did. But in the kingdom of God, you are like his hands and his feet. You're carrying Jesus with you as you go the different places that you go. And when he was here... <laughs> The people just kind of said, eh, that's just Jesus. How many people died? How many people missed a miracle? How many people missed the truth? Now I want you to picture how this played out. These people said, what's his source? You know, is this word for real? Does he really have this kind of power? It's got to be some kind of shenanigans going on here. There's got to be a trick to it. You know, it's got to be some kind of magic. <laughs> because it's just Jesus. So the people that heard him in the synagogue there that day, who could have embraced who he was and what he was and connected in to the power of God and seen incredible works, they went home and this is what they did. They sat around the table. Maybe somebody that wasn't there comes in and says, Hey, I heard you went to the synagogue today. Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, how'd it go? Well, it was, it was interesting. There was this guy there. Did you know Joseph and Mary? You know, they live over there on the outskirts of town got that carpenter shop over there yeah yeah i know them well their their son was there and he was saying the most amazing things but but it's just it's just jesus it's just jesus you know you know he's the one that's got the brothers and the sisters you know who, who is he you see that that's how it played out it's just jesus it's not really that big of a deal are y'all with me so i want you to see very clearly from the scripture, first of all, we've talked about the reaction of Jesus to unbelief. And unbelief just simply means to distrust. 
His reaction was he marveled. He was shocked by their unbelief. Now y'all picture that now. The son of God who nothing ever surprises, who knows everything and is all, everywhere present and nowhere absent. He was shocked by their unbelief. He just went, this is amazing. It's amazing how these people are reacting. I mean, they know, they've heard about the power and the source of power of Jehovah and they see the miracles that I'm doing. I'm healing people left and right. And they're, they're going forth, rising from uh, being crippled and they're, the blind are being able to see, the lepers are being cleansed. All these things are, I'm telling them the good word of God. That's amazing. He just went on about his way. His reaction was that he marveled. He paused and he just went on. See? Now look at Mark the ninth chapter. Just a few pages over. And we want to see the account, another account, that gives us the response, the verbal response, the thought process that Jesus has to unbelief. In Mark the ninth chapter, you find where they had just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And when Jesus comes down from the mountain, that's where there's a crowd gathered. And this is where the man has brought his son who is vexed with the devil. He's had his son. He's been taking care of his son for a long time. He's done about everything he could possibly do to try to help his son. And, and nobody can help his son. And even the apostles, even the ones who were there that had been endued with the power from Christ to cast these things out. They couldn't do it. And Jesus comes down from the mountain. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 19. As he looks upon this and he is told that the disciples couldn't do this when they have the power to do it. They had the power to do it. And what is Jesus' response? What's his thought process? We already see his reaction that he just, he marveled. He was shocked at how they responded. And he just went on his way and nothing happened. Nothing changed. Everything just went on the same. And here he comes upon them and these people are unable to do what he's given them the power to do. And Jesus says in verse 19, he cries out and he says, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. That's the thought process. That's Jesus' response to unbelief. You say, how do we know it was unbelief? Because you read in the book of Matthew 17 and 17, when they go in the house, that's what Jesus tells them. He says, the reason you couldn't cast out the devil out of this man's uh, son was because of your unbelief. Matthew 17, it says in verse it says in 19 that they came, the disciples, to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast them out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief, because of your unbelief, you could not cast him out. This is Jesus' reaction to unbelief. He says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. The word perverse means to distort or to misinterpret. So he's saying, this generation has distorted and misinterpreted me and what I'm here for and where my source of power is and what I'm here, the purpose of me. <laughs> He cries out. He's, he's disgusted. He's upset. And then the apostles come in and they say, why, why can't we do it, Lord? He says, because of your unbelief. You got the power. You know the source. You know all these things. You couldn't do it because of your unbelief. Now, also, don't forget this. Over back in Matt, the account in Mark, remember the man comes to him and he says, Jesus says to the man, if you believe, then this can be done. You can be helped. If you believe, your son can then be helped. And the man cried out that great statement. He said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Is that not the cry for the one who realizes that they struggle with unbelief? Is that our cry? 
Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And then they all hear that. And then Jesus goes inside in the book of Matthew and it says, they said, why can't we do this? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Y'all see that connection? That's why it's always good to read the different accounts of the Gospels that have the different uh, information in it. They don't contradict. They just complement each other. You get in Mark that the man cried out, Lord, help thou mine unbelief. And then you get in Matthew where Jesus told him, you couldn't cast it out because of your unbelief. <laughs> you see? We read on in, Ma- uh, in Matthew 17. They said, why could we not cast him out? Verse 20. Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. <laughs> Listen. How many children of God are struggling with their unbelief today? They're shocked and they're awed by the circumstances, whether it's the culture, whether it's politics, whether it's the health and medical scene, shocked. And at the same time, Jesus is shocked at their unbelief. You get that? We've all had it. We've all done that in some form or another, especially in the last eight or nine months. We've all felt that fear. We've all had that drive us. We've all uh, had that drive us to our knees and say, Lord... What's going on? What is the deal here? What do we do? (laughs) And notice Jesus says, in this circumstance, the circumstance of the demoniac, the the little boy who had a demon, he says, this kind, you need to be praying and you need to be fasting. (laughs) You know, we've talked before about fasting. It can be, you know, denying oneself of physical food, but you can fast in a lot of ways. Uh, Sometimes we can fast from that phone that we carry around or that um, television. You know, we can fast from some activity that we just love and enjoy. And it's not, Brother Luke said, it's not that God wants to deny you any joy, but you know, there can be too much of a good thing. (laughs) You know, have you checked the number of hours that you've averaged on a daily basis on your phone? That's a sobering check right there. I've looked at that and I've gone, really? Did I really spend... You know, 26 hours on that day? Y'all wake up to that one in a minute. It's shocking, see? Jesus tells them, boys, girls, you got to dig a little deeper for this one. Are y'all listening to me this morning? This is that time in our life, in our existence, unprecedented. You got to dig a little deeper. You got to dig a little deeper into the word. You got to dig a little deeper. There was an old Oak Ridge Boys song. You ought to go listen to it sometime. Dig a little deeper in the well, boys. I'm not going to sing it. I want to. (laughs) You got to dig a little deeper. Jesus said, Your unbelief is preventing you from accomplishing something that you should be able to do. You should be able to go forward in this matter. You should be able to move forward serving God in the kingdom of God. And your unbelief is preventing you from doing that. And this affects us all. It's just not one group. It's not just one individual. It affects us all. Our unbelief prevents us from seeing the miracles. It prevents us from seeing the Lord work. It prevents us from plugging into the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you, if there's anything that convicts me anymore, it's seeing this. How our unbelief prevents us from seeing the Lord all around us. Think about the things you see on a day-to-day basis. You know that there's some people, I I don't know of anybody here, but I know for a fact that there's some people that in the morning they'll turn that television on and it doesn't cut off until that night. So every time you pass through, 
you know. And, you know, I get it if, if, if it's on Sister Tracy's favorite channel, the Hallmark channel, where everything is the same. It's just got different names, different people, different makeup, different all of this. I mean, I get that. But if you've got Fox News or CNN or one of those torture chambers on all day and you're coming by and they're saying, it sounds like the teacher from Charlie Brown. It's the same thing, and it brings you down. It's going to take you into the abyss. It's going to keep you in darkness. Oh, the bliss of ignorance sometimes. You know, don't tell me the statistics. Don't tell me that the odds are against me. Don't tell me how many babies have been aborted. Don't tell me what's coming up and what's going to be destroyed uh, in some future time. Don't tell me about the apocalypse. I tell you the apocalypse has already occurred when Jesus hung on the cross and he resurrected from the grave. That's what I want to hear squawking at me on a constant basis. <laughs> you see, that was some, something to rejoice in. But if you've got something like that just in your ear all the time, there's no wonder that God's people are acting in unbelief. Jesus' response to their unbelief, He says, you need to dig a little deeper. Now, let's look at Jesus' revelation to us about unbelief. Mark 16. Mark 16. And I get it. Our Our thought process tends to go like this. Oh yeah, brother Tim, I get it. But you know, if Jesus was just here walking around. Jesus is here walking around. He's in your heart. You're walking around carrying Jesus wherever you go or don't go. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus is still here. He's manifesting His kingdom. He's manifesting His word. His power is still the same power that it was when He was resurrected from the grave. He hasn't changed. We're the ones that have moved away from the north a star. We're the ones that have failed to hitch our wagon to the star of Jesse. You see? We're the ones that move away. Look at Jesus' revelation about unbelief in Mark 16. Verse 13. It says, they went and they told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. They are coming and telling them that Jesus is risen. And they listened to it. They said, he's risen. I mean, can you imagine, when you're trying to convey something to someone, you know, they didn't come up and say, hey, Jesus is risen from the dead. How about that? They didn't do that. You know, I think about that. If, if I've got a case and I'm trying a case in front of a jury and I go up to the jury and I say, hey, I'd really like for you to rule in our favor. How far am I going to get? These people were jumping up and down. They were saying, Jesus is risen. You thought he was dead. You thought he was gone. He's risen from the grave. What? Yeah, I'm telling you, he's risen. We saw him. He's walking. He's breathing. He's smiling. He's laughing. He's instructing. And they just look at him and they go, nah. Unbelief. They didn't believe him. This did not make Jesus happy. <laughs> it says in verse 14, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Are y'all getting that? He didn't just say, here I am. Now you can get over this unbelief. No, he said, I am ashamed of you because you didn't believe those that told you that I was risen. They didn't believe the messenger. Are y'all listening? We talked about the under rower last week who keeps rowing the ship of God, the old ship of Zion. And they keep rowing the word of God and, and bringing the word of God to God's people. And God's people sometimes just go, eh, eh. Jesus, his response, his revelation to us for unbelief is he upbraids. 
He upbraided them. It, it literally can mean to call them names. It's the same word that says they cast the same in his teeth when he was hanging on the cross. They were calling names of Jesus. They were going, yeah, 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 yeah. They were, you thought you were the son of God. Well, Jesus goes to these guys and he chides them. He says, what's wrong with you? How could you not believe what they told you? Aren't they your friends? Don't they, haven't they laid their lives on the line for you? And you still won't believe them. He chides them. He calls them names. It reminds me of whenever uh, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, get thee behind me, Satan. That's Peter, by the way, who just moments before had said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's feeling good. I got it right. I answered the question right. And then Jesus says, And now I must go to the cross. And I must die. And I must be treated in a bad way by the Pharisees and by the Romans. And Peter says, No, Lord, God forbid that would happen. And Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan. That's the kind of upbraiding that's going on here. Jesus is saying, what are you guys thinking? You don't even believe your friends? You don't even trust those that you interact with on a regular basis? What's wrong with you? He didn't just chide them for not believing that He was risen. He chided them for not believing the messengers who told them that He was risen. Are y'all seeing that? Is Jesus marveling at our unbelief? I think He is. <laughs> I think He is. Wouldn't it be better if he marveled at our belief, our great faith? Matthew, the eighth chapter, the 10th verse, we read about the Roman centurion. Jesus said, it says Jesus marveled at him. Same word, different context. Jesus marveled at his great faith. He said, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. And he spoke the word and the man was healed. That's power, is it not? That would not have happened in Nazareth because the people said, Where's this guy come from? What's his source of power? Is this for real? I don't believe his word. He's just Joseph's son. You see? What about the woman, the Syrophoenician woman who was not even a Jewish woman and neither was a Roman centurion. And it, she came to him again and again, at least three times. She came to him and said, help my daughter. She's grievously vexed. And finally, Jesus said, woman, your faith is great. Your daughter's healed. Just spoke the word. Let's close out this morning in Mark 16. Because I don't want to leave you in despair as I know each and every one of us are looking at the mirror of the gospel this morning and saying, whew, man, I've been living in some unbelief. We all have. We all have. If you're sitting out there saying, oh, I've been living in unbelief. <laughs> this message is not for you this morning. I got another message on pride coming for you. If we question His source, if we question His Word, if we question His power, then I say to you, we question the man Himself. In Mark 16, I just told you about how Jesus uh, upbraided them for what? For their not believing the messengers. He chides them. And then it says in verse 15, He doesn't leave them down there. He's just stomped them to the ground. You know, He just stomped them flat. <laughs> and He begins to inflate them and bring them back up. He says, go. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in verse 19, it says, So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the Word with signs following. Amen. You see, they didn't just sit back and go, Oh, man, I've been living in unbelief. I'm just going to go hide in a corner. I'm going to stick my head in the sand like an ostrich. No, when the Lord said, 
You need, you're chided. You are rebuked for your unbelief. It says they went forth and preached the gospel. They carried the kingdom of God forward and the Lord was back in heaven. You see that? He said, well, we do that if if the Lord was just here, Brother Tim. Because if I was standing around him and the aura was around him that preserves and purifies, well, then, you know, I wouldn't get sick or I wouldn't have to encounter this issue or that issue or whatever. That's not what they did. The Lord went back to heaven and the people of God went forward. They believed in the power. They believed in the word of God. They believed in the source of power. And they believed in the man himself. (laughs) You hear me? Matthew Henry said, has our unbelief tied the hands of omnipotence itself? How many miracles are we missing right now? How many, and when I say miracle, I'm not talking about somebody just rising from the grave. I'm not talking about just somebody getting over their sickness. It's a miracle when God's people come to see the truth. How many people of God out there right now could learn the truth of God in this tender time, in this very, uh, this very problematic time when everybody's on edge and everybody's wondering what should we do? And we go forward carrying the truth of God to the people of God and rejoice in seeing the miracle of the spreading of the word of God. Has our unbelief stopped the current of his favors? As Matthew Henry said, is Jesus shocked at our unbelief? Or is he marveling at great faith? Is he marveling at unbelief? Or is he marveling at belief? Child of God, these things are in my heart. I believe from the Spirit of God. I'm not preaching a political message. I'm not preaching a health and welfare message. I'm not preaching a pie in the sky message. Nothing's going to happen to you if you go out and serve God. I'm telling you things are going to happen to you. God guaranteed you that things will happen to you that are uncomfortable, unpleasant, and things that don't necessarily go along the way that you want them to go. But I'm going to tell you, He is worthy. He's worthy. Whatever you suffer, whatever you experience, going forward in faith. You say, Brother Tim, what what if I die? Guess what? You'll be better off. You'll be in heaven. I'll leave you with the story, the true story of the monk named Telemachus. Back in the dark ages, and, and we don't agree with uh, the thought process of becoming a monk in monasteries and all that type of stuff, but this is an exceptional story. And it's true. There was a monk named Telemachus who was a country man, and he lived out in the country. He was not a city man. And one day, as he was tending his garden and doing the things that he did, which was a very quiet, really, you might say in some ways, an ineffective uh, ministry. He's out there by himself in the mountains. The Lord put it in his heart to go to Rome. And this was back in the days whenever the gladiatorial games, blood was being shed on a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis. Men were slaughtering each other and the crowd was loving it. They were just screaming and shouting at the bloodshed. So the monk Telemachus, he leaves his little country home, not really knowing why that he needs to go to Rome, the city of Rome where the arena was. And so he goes, and when he gets there, it just happens to be a day that is a day where they're going to have the gladiatorial games. And somehow or another, he get, the historian writes that he gets caught up into the crowd that's rushing madly to get in there, pay their fees, their fare, and get in there and watch the bloodshed. And so Telemachus gets caught up in that, and he's in there, and he's in the stadium, and he's, they begin to come out and begin to slaughter each other, begin to kill each other, cut each other's arms off, stab each other, all this type of stuff. And Telemachus, as there's a lull in the crowd, he stands and he says, in the name of Christ, stop this. One man, 
And of course, they just laugh at him. But he continues, in the name of Christ, stop this. Stop this bloodshed. And Telemachus, nobody listens to him, so he climbs over into the arena and goes down on the sandy floor. And he continues to cry out, in the name of Christ, stop this. And someone from the crowd says, run him through. And so one of the gladiators comes over and takes a javelin and runs him through, straight through his abdomen. And the crowd goes quiet. And as Telemachus is bleeding out and dying, he says one last time, he shouts and says, in the name of Christ, stop this. And he dies. The crowd is silent. And the historian writes, says that one or two men get up and walk out. Ten or fifteen men get up and walk out. Thirty, fifty, a hundred. Hundreds begin to leave the arena until there's nobody left to watch the games. And according to history, there were other factors. There were definitely other factors that led to the complete shutting down of the bloodshed in the gladiatorial games. But Telemachus was one of those major factors. He said, one man, one little country man, said, in the name of Christ, stop this madness. You think you can't make a difference? You think your faith is so small and you just can't make an impact? Well, tell that to Telemachus when you get to heaven. One man, one vision, who believed in the power of God, who believed in the source of that power, who believed in the Word of God, and who believed in the man Christ Jesus. Child of grace, it is time for you, it is time for me to walk forward in belief, not in unbelief. How many miracles? How many opportunities? How many chances are we missing to glorify our Lord? One of the greatest things that you can do to glorify our Lord is to follow Him in confession and New Testament baptism. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.